So we're going to read today from Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 11, through to chapter 9, verse 7. So Isaiah 8, 11, through to 9, 7. So this is the prophecy of Isaiah, the beginning of his prophecy. And the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are uh, Isaiah's warning. It's a book of warning uh, and telling the people of uh, Israel and of Judah, but Israel in the first instance of the coming uh, consequences of judgment upon the people for their failure to keep their covenant relationship with their God. And so, this is part of that prophecy. And uh, we always read chapter 9 at Christmas because it speaks, and rightly so, because it speaks of the coming Messiah. But actually, chapter 9, the verses that we will read are in in a much wider context where the overall tone is one of warning and judgment rather than of promise and hope. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place. For both Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob, I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upwards will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. 
They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Last week in the first Sunday of Advent, we were thinking about uh, slavery and freedom, where reflecting, or I'm reflecting with you on, on Advent, which is a, a word that has a Latin root that means coming towards. What are we coming towards as we come towards Christmas? And so, we looked uh, last week at, at, at the, the theme of slavery and, and freedom, of how in uh, the Exodus narrative, God begins uh, the journey of His people, a people who had become a people in Egypt and had grown into a people and were immediately enslaved. Enslaved by Egypt until the time came when God heard the cry of His people and delivered them and sent them uh, through Moses, set them free from their Egyptian oppressors and took them then on a journey with a pillar of uh, cloud, a pillar of fire, and the parting of the Red Sea on a journey to the promised land. And so they went to freedom from captivity. And so we, we thought about that journey as, as a kind of coming towards, because that's a picture of what your salvation is and is about. It's about a moving from slavery to freedom. It's a moving from the captivity to sin and to the things that enslave us in this life and in our experience, in the words of other people, in the habits that we've formed, in the, the places where we're captive in some way or another to a promise of freedom because Jesus breaks us free. And we thought about the story of Peter in prison being broken free. But I want to take a look at a different theme that we're coming towards because there are lots of interwoven themes uh, in and around the, the big picture story of what it was that Jesus came to do. And so if the, one of the, the, the big landmark moment for the Jewish people to this day, celebrated every year at Passover, is the, the God's deliverance of His people from Egypt, their eating of unleavened bread as they left Egypt in a hurry, the parting of the Red Sea, and then their journey towards promise. If that's one of the, the big moments in the experience of the Jewish people, another big moment in the experience of the Jewish people 
was the exile. The exile. When God judged His people and sent His people, first uh, Israel, the northern kingdom. So there's two kingdoms in Israel. We, we tend to talk loosely about Israel as though it was one entity. But, but certainly back in biblical Old Testament times, for the most part, apart from a very uh, short period under David and Solomon, Israel was a northern kingdom and Judah was the southern kingdom and Jerusalem the capital of Judah. And so God sent prophets to warn His people because they had fallen from the covenant agreement that He had made with them through Moses at Mount Sinai, or I'd made really originally, I suppose, with Abraham, but had grown up. <coughs> and so the people of the northern kingdom of Israel were overtaken by the Assyrian Empire. And then a little while later on, the Babylonian Empire from modern-day Iraq overtook the Assyrian Empire and all that it possessed, including Israel, but pressed further south and took the kingdom of Judah in the south as well. And so now all of Israel and Judah was taken captive, and this time not just overrun, but the people were taken into captivity. It's a really significant period for the Jewish people for all sorts of reasons. It was a period where, the plate, where, where it seemed that, that God had abandoned His people, and He hadn't abandoned them, but He was certainly warning them and judging them. So, I want to think with you today about that theme, because the journey that we are coming towards, if you like, our Advent journey, is a reminder that God has called us from exile to homecoming. From exile to homecoming. I don't know what you think about when you think of home. I hope that there are uh, happy memories for you, but not everybody has happy memories of home. Not everybody had uh, the, the kind of settled, stable home life that we would all want to have for our own children. So I don't assume that just because I use the word home, uh, it has uh, positive, cozy associations in your own experience, but it's meant to. In the same way that the word father doesn't always have positive associations for everybody, but it's meant to. And, and God as father is, is, is the one who seeks to redeem whatever limited or difficult earthly experiences we may have or not have had. I don't know what home represents to you. Typically, home is a, is a place of belonging and safety. It's a place where they know you well enough to tell you exactly what you're like. It's a place where you don't get away with much, and uh, it's a place where there will be someone, one of your parents probably, or a sibling who will call you out to tell you what you're like. You'll know what it means to be at home. It's a place where you belong, and when you're not there, you are missed. But of course, the concept of home, of, of being in a place of belonging, of loving acceptance, of security, of nurture, of safety, is a place, is, is a concept that lots of people in our world do not have. 
for all sorts of reasons. Glasgow, in common with many of the big cities of the UK, has a big homelessness problem. The winter night shelter that Glasgow City Mission operates opened just a week past Thursday, but could have opened earlier. And I know because Stuart, my son, works between the council and Glasgow City Mission, in Glasgow City Mission, receiving people who come in presenting as homeless. I know because I was just chatting with him yesterday that, that Shelter is currently taking Glasgow City Council to court for failing to meet its statutory obligations to provide even temporary accommodation for everyone in the city who presents as homeless. And I certainly know from the statistics that Stuart keeps that something like 20% of those presenting as homeless in Glasgow actually get emergency temporary accommodation which means that 80% are told that there's no room at this inn or any other inn, and they'll just have to take a sleeping bag or find a doorway and make the best of it. So homelessness is a brutal reality for a lot of people in this city. Ultimately, of course, the journey that God has for us is a journey of coming home. I go to prepare a place for you, said Jesus. And if I go, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. The theme of home, of being in the place that God wants you to be, is, is all the way through Scripture. Adam and Eve were at home in the Garden of Eden. That was the place God intended for them. It was a place of belonging and relationship. It was a place where the, the tree of life and all the other trees were there to be eaten from and enjoyed in all their plenty. It was a place where they had unfettered access to and relationship with God. It was the place of their nurture and belonging. Eden was home. And yes, of course, we know that the consequence of the sin that they were tempted to commit, rebelling against that relationship with God, which was not yet a covenant relationship. It was just, it was the way things were, the only way things were. And yet when they ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and disobeyed God, they put themselves outside the, that covenant, that early covenant relationship where God had told them that they could eat from the tree, the fruit of any of the other trees, just not that one. That was the covenant. That was the agreement. That was the understanding. And when that covenant was breached or broken, then the consequence was exile. They were driven out of the Garden of Eden. They were driven out aware of their nakedness and shame. They were driven out of the place of plenty. They were driven out of the presence of God and the access. And somehow the way back in was barred to them, and so they were a, an exiled people. Their son, Cain, the first naturally born child in the world, according to that narrative, killed his brother, and as a consequence was exiled east of Eden. And so, 
there's a theme, and it goes all the way through Scripture. Broken relationship, broken covenant, broken uh, disobedience leads to being put out. I was having just a, a chat earlier on about a situation where sometimes in in schools, the only option where the rules are persistently and consistently being broken is for a child to be excluded, to be exiled, to be put out. There's a journey. There are lots of journeys, of course, in the Bible. And, and if you like, the, the place that humankind journeyed towards in those early chapters of Genesis, really fascinating. You know, after they were exiled from the garden, we have all these uh, narratives in the first few chapters that culminate in the Tower of Babel, where people gravitated to build this Tower of Babel, which was in or around Babylon. You see the similarity in the names, Babel and Babylon. And Babel was a place of of exile and independence. Babel was a place where they built a tower in order to say, there's nothing we cannot do. Babel was science. Babel was human endeavor. Babel was uh, politics and economics. Babel was the human spirit saying, we've got this. And so, in that place of exile, out of the presence of God, they went and they built Babel. And generally, outside of the presence, outside of relationship with God, people build Babel. They build their towers and the empires. They build their, uh, their, their homes and their earthly securities. They build what they can and hope that it will endure and withstand whatever life might throw at them. And Babel in the Bible, (laughs) Babel Bible, represents a place of exile and of rebellion against God. Where was it that the people ended up when they were put out of Israel and Judah in exile? They were in Babylon. And in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, we find a reference there to, to Babylon. Fallen is Babylon the great. And there's talk about how the nations have uh, gone mad, reeling with madness, drunk, drunk from the wine of her adulteries. And so there's home in the presence of God. And there's the place of independence and apartness apart from God, the place of rebellion that the Bible represents as Babylon. It's interesting that it's not too far away from Babylon that Abraham was called to leave everything he knew and go on a journey to the land that God would show him. Ur of the Chaldees is thought to be not very far away, certainly in that broad area. And Abraham left there and went to the land of Canaan, which would later become and be the promised land. Abraham was called by God from the place that in the Bible represented or would represent exile and apartness and sent on a journey, sent on a journey that would lead him to the place that ultimately, centuries later, 
down his family line when Israel had become a nation to the place where God would settle his people. It was to be their home on earth. You see, God's plan is to bring his people home. To take us out of the places of our own making and our own handwork, our own struggle for survival, our own aspiration to be big and important and powerful and wealthy and secure, and to bring us home to a place of His promise and provision. And so Joseph was exiled from his family and home, and that brought him to Egypt and in turn to the land of promise. Advent points us to homecoming. What is it that's coming? The one who will take you home. This world and all that it offers will afford you some kind of home or homes along the way, or maybe not. This world can be a a brutal and inhospitable place for many people, not just the homeless. But think of the thousands, the tens of thousands of migrants who have left home and settled on a journey to find a better, safer home, a home away from war or conflict, a home where there might be opportunity, a home away from the struggle (coughs) to survive or the uncertainty on earth. We are mostly restless wanderers. I looked up the word exile to see where it comes from. I like to know, because I did languages before, I'm interested in roots and and, and words. I wanted to know, where does the word exile come from? And it's made up of two parts of of two Latin words. So the X is easy. We all know X. It's, It's out or away. But the sile bit comes originally, ultimately, from the Latin word solemn. And any of you who knows anything about houses or buildings will know that underneath the floor, the base level of a house is the solemn. Solemn just means ground or earth. The thing you put your feet on is where you stand. It's your patch, your turf. And so an exile is someone who's off their patch. An exile is someone who's out of their turf, out of the ground, the land, the place, that is their place. An exile is somebody who on earth is a restless wanderer. It's interesting to me that Jesus had no earthly home. We sing that one of the Easter hymns. On earth no home he had, save what a stranger gave. Oh, I can't remember. I'm butchering it. We'll stop there. I should have written it down. On earth no house or home, save what a stranger gave. Anyway, Only the places that people took him in. And that's not just accidental. It's not that Jesus didn't have the means or the opportunity to have a home on earth. My goodness, can you imagine? Can you imagine what a place, if there was a place on earth that had been Jesus' house? (laughs) Can you imagine the fragments of wood and stone that would have uh, circled the globe, being an authentic piece of Jesus' house. Can you imagine the tour buses rolling up relentlessly outside the place where Jesus' house was? But it was not for those reasons that Jesus did not have a house, because Jesus wanted to declare and state that whilst he grew up in a house in Nazareth, whilst he'd been born in a house in Bethlehem, yes, I did say house, 
that whilst he enjoyed the hospitality of Peter's home in Capernaum and Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home in Bethany, none of these were his home. Why? Because he had come to take people home, and he wasn't going to settle for anything less, anything that would look like a place of permanence on earth, because he came to take you home. And so, when we read in Isaiah chapter 8 and 9, we read Isaiah's warning. Isaiah's warning that the covenant has broken, has been broken. His warning that the people are in rebellion against God. And because they're in rebellion against God, they're going to be cast out. They're going to be cast out. You know, and as much as we would like to sit on the fence and blur the edges, as much as we would like to uh, maybe play it safe, as much as we might be tempted by the universalist theology that says everyone's going to be welcomed in at the end, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is a place where a relationship with God is broken, and it means exile. It means being out, cast out. Many of Jesus' parables are quite explicit that at the end, at the time of judgment, there will be a separation. There will be those who will be welcomed in and brought home, given a seat at the table, invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there will be those cast out into the outer darkness. Exile and homecoming. And the gospel recognizes that all of us who are outside of relationship with God in Jesus, all of us, who have not heard and heeded and yielded to Jesus' invitation to come home with Him, are still wandering around in exile. Exile is the place of rebellion against God, of no relationship with God, of being outside a covenant of His grace and of His welcome, of His forgiveness and His healing. In this world, I, I read a book by Michael Frost. I don't know if any of the rest of you have read it. I read it a few years ago now called Exiles. And it's a book that invites us as Christians to remember that in this world, we may be exiles or at times feel like exiles. There was a time when the church was so embedded in our nation's life, Christian Britain that we imagine to be Christian and in the church was to be akin to being British. But of course, that's changed now. And God's people are increasingly an exiled people in the world, not wanted or welcomed here. It's not so bad for us, but we've talked before about the hot spots in the world. We're to name the name of Jesus where to confess Jesus as Lord is to uh, attract hostility, even threats or death. This world is a place of our wandering, a place of our passing through, and there are places in it and on it that we will call home. But let's never imagine that our earthly home is or could or even should be the place of our dwelling or our security or the place where our heart is. God has given us places called home for a season, just as Jesus had places that were home for a season. But we are a people who are called home. 
I've lost count of the number of testimonies, and you've heard them too, where people have described putting their faith in Jesus, coming to believe that Jesus is the one who died for their sins. And people have described becoming a Christian in the language of, it just felt like I was coming home. And if you had that experience where for you becoming a Christian just felt like coming home, coming home to something that instinctively, intuitively, somehow in the depths of your being, you knew was a relief to come to the place of permanent home. Exile was what Adam and Eve experienced. Exile was what many people experienced, and spectacularly the people of Israel and Judah, because of broken relationship with God, being cast out as wanderers. Homecoming is what Jesus does for you. And because we are a people who are invited to come home and to believe that what is coming is not just the freedom we explored last week, but is the homecoming we're thinking about this week. Freedom from slavery and an invitation to come home. And because we're a people who therefore understand what it means to know that we are just wilderness wanderers passing through this life, we're a people who too are called to express God's compassion to those who have no earthly home, or to the migrant or the wanderer, or the one who is trying to find some place of safety or security upon this earth. We make houses and we make places that we call home and we fortify them to keep them safe. But at the center of His ministry, Jesus put His trust in no earthly place. He went home and invites you there as well. And so, from exodus to exile, a reminder that if we live in rebellion against God, then we are a people who exile ourselves and will be exiled. But I hope, I believe, that we are here because we've heard and responded to an invitation And the invitation to come home requires, therefore, that we are and remain a covenant people, that we are a people who, having heard the invitation to come home, live as those who have heard an invitation to come home. The people of Israel and Judah were broken in their exile, longed to be home, wept and lamented the loss of everything, their power, their status, their possessions their security in their own land, because they were sentenced to be foreigners in another land, not their own. And for a season, and you know, sometimes there may well be seasons in our lives where we've been and lived in rebellion, and we may be in a darker, difficult place. But a beautiful note about Isaiah's prophecy, indeed every part of the Bible, is that with God there is always mercy. With God, where there may be a season of judgment, where there may be a season where we have to live out the consequences of our choices, where our rebellion may have its consequence, God's heart above all is one of compassion. 
even though, and we read it uh, earlier on in the prayer time this morning, even though God might chop down the tree, and that language is in this, uh, this part of Isaiah, where he was going to chop down the tree, the language of chapter 11 says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to you to delight in the fear of the Lord? Not to treat our salvation with complacency, but to live as those who are a covenant people and therefore called to keep and walk out that covenant. Remember John the Baptist's words of warning when they came out to him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And he said, and don't, don't say we have Abraham as our ancestor. I tell you that from these very stones, God can raise up people from Abraham. God invites us home invites us in out of the cold, and though our experience in this life may be a variable one, and it may be full of lovely home security, or it may be the reality of feeling like a restless wanderer all your days, neither of them is a permanent place. And God invites you to His home, but calls you and me to live as a covenant people, and to live as a people who are believing that however good home might be as an experience for us now, we're not there yet. Your salvation is closer now than when you first believed. You're closer to coming home than when you first put your trust in Jesus. And none of us knows when the day or time or hour might be that He will take us home, except He calls us to live as a covenant people and to journey as a covenant people and to show the compassion of God towards the ones who are more obviously vulnerable wanderers in the knowledge that we are also vulnerable and dependent on the grace of God and not on anything else that might look like an earthly home. Let's pray together.